Michael Wilmington of the Los Angeles Times calls it a misfiring undertone epic that takes its inspiration not from life or literature, but from a toy line and the cartoon series it inspired. Rita Kempley of the Washington Post said, Little kids at play have come up with craftier plots, better characterization, and conceivably more spectacular effects, provided their mothers let them play with matches. And Bob Morris of the Orlando Sentinel thanks the lead actor for ensuring that there will be no more Rambo movies in the near future, because he has obviously depleted the world's supply of body grease. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of Masters of the Universe. Which one will it be? Greetings, listeners, and welcome to Ruined Childhoods. I am one of your hosts, Dan Wiener, and with me is my brother and co-host, John Richardson. Hey, everybody. How is everybody listening, doing all answer at the same time right now? Fantastic. Excellent. Uh, I'm doing well, too, the listener. Uh, I am so very excited to be talking about Masters of the Universe. You know, I my faux pas in the introduction was to not mention that that this week's episode is a very special episode of Ruined <laughs> Childhoods because of the 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 place that He-Man and the Masters of the Universe as as a as a property as a franchise as a as a story has in my heart. Um so just to uh, so just to review what we're going to be talking about, because we are going to go a little bit into the woods here with um, into the oh, woods, by the way, if, oh, which has lots of weeds in, in it. No, into the woods, which, by the way, if you live in the Seattle area and you are looking <laughs> for something to do this weekend, uh, this Thursday, Friday and Saturday and next Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, West Seattle High School is producing into the woods, the Stephen Sondheim musical, and I am very excited to see it. I haven't. I cool. I know several uh, kids who are in it, and I think it's going to be a fantastic production. So, but that's not the type of woods we're going to be getting into. I am going to be talking like we are going. We're going deep, like not like quite therapy deep, but as far as like that one toy. That one character that you just connect with as a kid, for me, and I was, I, I got, I was into Star Wars, and I was, I mean, into Star Wars. Yes, back when it was just called Star Wars, not Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. But that's just another story for another time. And I had all like Star Wars figures, and loved it, and would role play, and would you know, pretend to be Darth Vader, especially when I was in uncomfortable situations. But, you went for, you went for Vader. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. No, I was a Vader guy, but, um, Masters Which of the in, Universe. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to talk a little bit about Darth Vader pretty, pretty soon too. Oh yes. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. But so with He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, so the toys initially were, were, released in 1982 
And, oh, I'm already getting into the woods before I forget. So what we're going to get around to is whether or not we think that there should be a a brand new adaptation of He-Man brought to the silver screen, a long-awaited sequel to the 1987 film, or if anything at all should be done with this property. Right. And on the last episode, we did talk about a recent announcement that they have chosen uh, an actor to play He-Man in a a He-Man or Masters of the Universe reboot. Um, That's Noah Centineo. uh, Yeah. Do you know anything about him? So he's in a Netflix movie coming out soon, I believe called The Perfect Date. He was in, oh. He was um, in, uh, like, what is it called? All the Boys I've Loved Before or something like that. Oh, yeah, To um, All the Boys I've Loved Before. To All the Boys Loved Before. And uh, he was also just recently in something else. Why am I not finding my notes from the last one? But, uh, huh, I don't know where my notes are from the last one. He's like, you know, uh, he's up and comer. Yeah. He's like, you know, maybe the next uh, Zac Efron or uh, whatever. But anyway, I mean, I don't know. I don't know much about him, but yeah. And we will be will be addressing that um, the plans for that for that film uh, a little bit later, because <laughs> um, there's a lot of history here. In in fact, um, so to get back to my my childhood, so. <laughs> So um, John He-Man, He-Man joined the world as an action figure shortly before you did. Um, he, <laughs> before I joined action, the world as an action figure? Before you joined the world as an action, before the John yeah. action figure was released. In, yeah, in, in 83. <laughs> so uh, the He-Man, He-Man, yeah, He-Man showed up just before I did. The toys um, came and then, out. And in, then when did the cartoon come out? So and and I have to I have to first of all I have to give some credit. Uh, there's an excellent documentary on. Uh, it's currently streaming on Netflix called Power of Gray Skull, and it goes all the way back into the creation of He-Man. It goes all the way back to the mid '70s and uh-huh. the roots of He-Man and what set he what's at the He-Man action figures apart from the rest of the action figure world. So the the He-Man cartoon series debuted. The toys came out. And the, when what made the toys unique was not only their make that you could like swivel the 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 waist and you can move the arms. It was more actionable than your standard action figure. They also came with little comic books that kind right. that set up the story. And then they went. So then, uh, pretty soon, and the toys were were a big success. And. So they soon went into production on the the cartoon and the um, company Filmation made, uh, produced the cartoon. And what they did, what they added was kind of defining the world and right. the rules of the world, including adding the the Prince Adam aspect of it. The fact that right. He-Man is not just this barbarian who came from the jungles, which was his original backstory. Um, and not as I wrote down on a note, I don't know at what point I wrote this down, but I was like, what if his name on the birth certificate was supposed to be Herman, but like part of the R got scratched out and they were like, okay, he man, but it's neither here nor there. And and just quickly, I want to address what a ridiculous name, he man. Yes. 
But so (laughs) this is why I love this documentary is because they kind of talk about and the names for the toys in general tend to be ridiculous. Like Skeletor Mm -hmm. is probably higher up on the list of creativity. But like, all right, we've got a guy who's kind of a skunk. What do we call him? Skunk or (laughs) we've got a man who's made of moss. What should we call him? Moss man. But well, one one thing that I found funny and this was this is in the movie. I am. I and you can let me know if these were actually characters in um, the television series or the uh, the action figures. But when uh, Evil Lynn, uh, which is Skeletor's uh, right hand woman, I uh, boo when she, yeah when she is introducing the four mercenaries that she has found to uh, find He-Man in the Masters of the Universe, uh, which, first of all, I'm pretty sure that this this moment is parodied in Dodgeball, a true underdog story, uh, when he's introducing the names of the people on the team. But she, much in the same way that um, Ben Stiller's character does in Dodgeball, uh, first introduces Blade, which is, of course, a guy that has knives and swords. And then... Not, um, not the... Not the blade of the no, Marvel not Wesley comics. Snipes, not Wesley no. Snipes, no. And then um, there was uh, there was uh, Sarad, Sarad, and then Beast Man, and it's like really, well, but <laughs> couldn't Beast have done Man. something a little bit more creative with that. But Beast Man was the only one of them that was originally. Beast Man was well, one. That's of the what I was toys. wondering, and Beast which Man is like was, that's so was, lazy. It was, I mean, he, he was really like, all right, imagine just like a rabid pissed off Sasquatch. And that was right. But so the other characters and the guy who played Blade was also the, the sword, the sword play choreographer. And oh. he was kind of the, the sword master on, on And that's set. Anthony DeLongis. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he shaved his head for the role, in fact, but. I always found the one that always stuck out to me. And by the way, the, so I, I had the action figures, except for I don't remember there being an action figure based on Karg. And Karg always struck me as it's kind of like and I've never actually seen the musical Cats, but I've been around musical <laughs> theater enough to know enough about it. But that Karg was kind of that outcast cat the one that was like the mangy one i'm not i don't like the mangy rabid one who's like i am not singing and dancing with any of you and karg was like the cat's reject who ended up in masters of the universe so just looking at heman.org he-man.org uh there is a karg action figure uh i'm trying to see if it says when this was released 87 20 it was released for the movie well karg was a character created for the movie karg oh it for sure was okay yeah and sarad and blade were all created for the movie I mm-hmm. think through very I think Blade was originally supposed to be Trapjaw. Gotcha. Okay. But they couldn't this was you have to remember this is 1987 when the movie came out and this was the first of these cartoon/toys 
to get a live action movie. It would be another 20 years before Transformers. Yeah. And then G.I. Joe after that. So, but but to get back to, I I just want everyone to to understand (laughs) this. And um, we'll be posting this photo, but um, so I did a little research and (laughs) I remembered... I remembered one of the. Do you want to describe what you're, what I'm showing? Okay, you? so uh, when Dan was about, you want to say five? So this is Could that six. This is six. I can, so the, the the cartoon series debuted September 1983. This oh, is okay. October so, 1983. Gotcha. So for Halloween in 1983, Dan was He Man, and uh, certainly a homemade costume. Uh, thanks Mom, to our mother. Yeah, she, this was kind of like, I, I think this might've been the first of like her really awesome costumes. Um, she, yeah, she had a few winners. That's for sure. Think, and this was one I, of I them. I think the peak might've been the year that Scott was the taco and I was the Steve Garvey baseball card. Yeah. <laughs> also neither here nor there. Of the, so, uh, yeah. San Diego Padres. So, um, it, bear in mind also and this is a major shout out to our mother. Uh, I was really just a few months old and my mother went, you know, to lengths to make a custom He-Man costume for Dan. So shout out to her. And also what's great about this photo, and we're going to post this on our, our our social media is the fantastic wood panel uh, wall in the background. Oh, definitely. I don't. There's so many things I love about this, and I remember this costume so clearly because, first of all, the the cardboard sword covered in duct tape to mm-hmm. look silver is that the, duct tape or just aluminum foil? That, is, that oh, I am. I I remember it being duct tape, and this is, I mean, a long time ago, and I usually can't remember like why I crossed the room, but for some reason, I have a clear memory of that being. Mom, please let us know. Um. Email us at runechildhoodspod at gmail.com. Yeah. <laughs> so I loved the the thermal underwear, the long johns stuffed with, um, I want to say, cotton to okay. give my- To beef you up. To give my six-year-old body the appearance of being super jacked. I always thought you were just really jacked that fall. Oh, yeah, no. Well, you know, I started lifting weights when I was in kindergarten and I got really into it that summer. So at the beginning of first grade, I was just jacked. And then I you're, don't know what happened that year, but you were like, I got these two little brothers. I need something to stand out. Yeah. I got to get ripped. Uh, so you're talking, you're talking just briefly, you're talking about your, um, your uncanny memory from this time. Do you have, a memory from the first time you saw Masters of the Universe. I do. So, <laughs> it's my favorite. <laughs> I have there's real there's so much to to um to talk about before we even get to the movie. So, such as as we've been discovering on the show, many of the movies we're talking about secretly belong to the Marvel universe. Right. He-Man. Well, mm-hmm. is in the DC universe. Yeah, over the course of, I guess, He-Man's history, uh, it has belonged to several different comic book publishers. Uh, At one point, Marvel was one. 
Uh, but mostly, oh. what's up? The documentary does not cover cover that. Oh, they, uh, on the Masters of the Universe, or, or let me see, I th- believe the Wikipedia page. Because oh. um, I saw there is a He-Man versus Superman. So, um, oh, so it very much exists in the DC universe. So DC universe. So DC cinematic universe. If if you're looking to spice up your your cinematic universe a little bit. So just saying, yes. He Man might be the key. So so from December, sorry, from December eighty two to February eighty three, uh, and then again from July twenty twelve uh, to now, I guess uh, DC Comics published uh, Masters of the Universe comics from May eighty six to May eighty eight. Marvel published Masters of the Universe. Wow. And then from 86 to 90, London Edition Magazines. Not sure exactly what that is. And then November 20, uh, 2002 to December 2004 was Image Comics. Um, and actually, London Edition Magazines uh, had the most issues with 103. Marvel had 14, Image Comics had 26, and then DC has had a total of 37. But it is currently a DC situation. Awesome. And then now we've got our crossover link between DC <laughs> and Marvel. Okay. So <laughs> you, and also Filmation was the company that did the Superman cartoon in the 60s. So, oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so getting back to the 1987 film, you asked if I remembered seeing that. And, yeah. um, and I believe I'm if I remember correctly, I'm pretty sure I do. It was it was the three of us. It was you, me and Scott. And we were in it was when we were in California because it was released August 87, shortly before okay. we, we took our trip there. And Grandma Seal, we were, I remember being in Palm Springs. I might be wrong. And I don't remember if like mom and dad took us or if grandma seal took us or or who it was but i remember going to the movie theater it was a multiplex and i don't think we had many multiplexes out out like where we lived at that point okay yeah yeah yeah. but i remember and what i remember aside from like the lights alongside the aisle which were different than what i'd ever seen yeah i know I remember the posters in the lobby, and I don't know if these were other movies that were playing there or if they were just being advertised as coming attractions, but I remember the posters for The Lost Boys. Uh-huh. Predator. Okay. The Untouchables. Full Metal Jacket. I, don't, I think those are the ones that I really remember seeing in in that in that lobby i have one more question that, for you yeah what did you have for lunch on monday <sighs> moving on some leftover okay, so no i remember <laughs> come on i had some leftover chicken with spinach and a rice ball okay a risotto right. ball. so so you are able to remember uh recent things as well as things from when you were uh 
just a small child. Got it. Yeah, but honestly, truth be told, I I could have any day fired off th- those movie posters qu- more quickly than I could have my lunch from the day before. So yeah, so, it's a fair point. So something else that we definitely need to talk about is Canon Films. Another wonderful documentary. <laughs> right. Electric so Boogaloo. In 20- yeah, in 2014, there were two documentaries released. Um, let me see if I can pull up. There was Electric Boogaloo, <laughs> which is like the story of Canon Films that uh, I know was on Netflix. Yeah, um, I saw it on Netflix. And then, uh, oh wait, let me see. There was another one that came out. I think it was like a. It was it focused more. This was an Israeli documentary. What was it called? Um, Menachem Golan, King of the the World The the Go-Go Boys, the inside story of canon films And uh, it's Golan, I'm sorry, it's Go-Go because uh, Golan and Globus were the, I think, like Israeli cousins who were the main figures in uh, in canon's history And um, didn't one of them, did one of them direct Masters of the Universe? No. Um, no? Yeah, Masters of the Universe was uh, Gaddy, Gary Goddard. God, Gary, who... Gary Goddard, a different go. Um, so, Canon Films, just to, just briefly, and I do encourage everybody to definitely watch Electric Boogaloo, um, which is named because they are the ones that released Break Into Electric Boogaloo, uh, because what they really did is they would buy up these properties that were moderately successful and they'd get them on the cheap somehow and then just release sequels and famously i think most famously they did this with death wish so all of the like death wish sequels were um canon films and they um uh, they also worked a lot with chuck norris um, right. They did Delta Force. I think that was their big like Chuck Norris one. Um, so they, they did yeah, that. They, I, th- I think they do. They did it like some of the other early like Jean Claude Van Damme, Dolph Lundgren. I think they did another one with Dolph Lundgren did, after Masters. Was he in Cyborg? N- uh, no, I think no, that I was think so. that was Van Damme. But I'm pretty sure that Cyborg. Interesting piece of trivia was originally the script for cyborg yes. was adapted from the script for masters of the universe 2. That's right. Yeah, so uh why don't I I'm just going to take I'm just going to read this little bit uh from the Wikipedia page for Canon Films. So Canon Films had in, or maybe this was for Masters of the Universe, but Canon Films intended to create a Masters of the Universe sequel indicated by the end credits with a reveal that Skeletor survives. Um, the sequel titled Masters of the Universe 2, Cyborg, was written and followed He-Man, who returned to Earth to battle Skeletor, uh, who has left Earth as a post-apocalyptic wasteland, and the film was to feature Trapjaw uh, and She-Ra. Uh, pro surfer Laird Hamilton was originally to replace Dolph Lundgren as He-Man, and the only aspect known about the sequel screenplay was that He-Man would have returned to Earth uh, and was disguised as a professional quarterback. Um, very Flash Gordon. Uh, with a low budget of $4.5 million, the sequel was to be directed by Albert Pewin, 
uh, consecutively with the aborted Spider-Man movie. The project was abandoned when Canon would not pay Mattel's fees, Mattel, which uh, created uh, He-Man. The production instead utilized the already made costumes and sets for the low-budget sci-fi film Cyborg. Uh, so much information there. Yeah. So they had the rights. So Canon had the rights to Spider-Man and they had until a certain like date to create a Spider-Man movie or else the rights would then go back to Marvel. And that's what ended up happening. And then Sam Raimi directed the Spider-Man movie um, Mm -hmm. that kind of launched back like Spider-Man back into everybody's minds and hearts and screens. So, I, I, I love that. That's so super interesting. Uh, Canon Films was just a mess. Like, the movies oh, that yeah. they made were crazy. And Masters of the Universe was supposed to be, like, their real foray into, like, a, a true blockbuster, like, blockbuster movie. A summer blockbuster, yeah. And, and I think th- it came in, be... like, third opening weekend, right? Did it. I know, I it, believe did. It, I know did. it came in, like, 65th for the year, Narrowly outgrossing uh, the number 69 uh, Canon Pictures Superman 4. I'm, I'm curious to see what came in first and second that that weekend. And if they uh, were... Let me see if I can pull that up. So The Living Daylights looks like... Is, right. Is it right. So The Living Daylights, the James Bond, in its mm-hmm. second week came in number one. That was the first James Bond film I saw in the theater. Okay. Saw it at Blue Star Cinemas. Um, (laughs) Stakeout at number two. Oh, we should talk about Stakeout sometime. Yeah, we should. Um, So so Back to the Beach beach opened the same weekend as Masters of the Universe. Back to the Beach, another big movie for us growing up. Yeah, came in at number, number eight. That weekend, Who's That Girl also released that weekend, mm-hmm. came in at number 10. So, yeah, no, <laughs> great. Yeah, so, so Canon Films uh, wanted to have like a, a huge blockbuster movie. This was going to be their meal ticket, essentially. Um, they have had other movies that do fall into kind of like the cult classic category, like The Apple, yeah. um, featuring Catherine Mary Stewart, one of our favorites. Well, here. I mean, and she's I think, already been in two movies that we've talked about, Weekend at Bernie's and uh, Last Starfighter. And I'm pretty sure the Apple is actually streaming either, on, I think, on Netflix, possibly Prime. I'm not sure. It's a crazy movie. You, Everybody needs to watch it. Yeah, it's pretty wacky. I mean, I haven't yeah. seen it, but it looked pretty wacky from the Canon Films documentary. Right. So, yes, everybody should just watch Electric Boogaloo. That's the most important thing you need to do do right now. I would say you might want to just skip Masters of the Universe, though, because rewatching it, man, is it a pile of garbage. You see, I so I enjoyed rewatching it. I mean, for nostalgia purposes, it really scratches that itch. But like, seriously, it is... Garbaggio. I mean, I'm not going to say it's the best movie ever, but I think that when I when I sat down to watch it for the first time in a few years, 
I I was a little I was I was like no my childhood is going to be ruined and I'm gonna <laughs> watch this movie because I feel like the last time I watched it I I, I was like ah oh, yeah this isn't quite as fun as it was when I was a kid but and maybe it was that expectation but I really I I kind of had a good time having it on well, I was really I know Dolph Dolph Lundgren as at the time felt like ashamed of doing it, of playing an action figure. He kind of acknowledges that it was cool. It was, it that was before it was cool, but yeah, he, I actually, and they were going to overdub his, his lines in this. And I actually really like hit that accent. I, Oh, I thought that they did overdub his lines. No, they, they didn't. They ran out of, they either ran out of money or time or both. I think knowing huh. canon films, it was both. I but, was always under the impression that it was over, that it was overdubbed. No. Anyway, uh, so there are a few really incredible things about this movie. First of all, a very young appearance by Courtney Cox. Um, but which, also, <laughs> what's up? No, it was it, it was just funny because I think I was as she appears on screen. I'm, I was thinking, I was like, what had she really done before that? Other than like the Bruce Springsteen video. And then in the storyline, she's moving to New Jersey. I was like, oh, she's going to be with Bruce. Yeah. <laughs> they hit it off when he pulled her up on stage to dance. With yeah. Her, right. To dancing in the dark. So, uh, another important thing to watch this movie for is Frank Langella, who plays Skeletor and gives like, everything he's got acting wise to this insane role. And I highly recommend watching the power of gray skull for the interviews with Frank Langella. Oh, who, I have to check that out. Who I, I don't. So I would say my favorite part of the interview with him is when he talks about how he was in awesome shape and was excited because <laughs> he thought he would get to show off like his abs in the oh Skeletor God. costume, Frank Langella was soup was really excited to play Skeletor, and he talks about you know a lot of the lines that he came up with or that he took from from Shakespeare to make Skeletor this yeah. kind of grandiose villain. And well, he really knocks it out of the park. Some of his lines were just like astonishing for the movie that they were that they were in um and well, those are probably think, the ones written by Shakespeare <laughs> that's true but i believe that there's actually one that was in maybe a he-man comic um where skeletor asks he-man is being good as lonely as being evil and i was like what is happening here i can't remember where he says he got it from but Langella talks about that line. Oh, okay. I, yeah. I, I love it because, I, you know, just watching it, everything about that movie is bananas. And then <laughs> he says that line and that like really stopped me in my tracks where it's just like, what is happening here? It, it's the, what is yeah, going on? It, the, the quality of the movie is definitely elevated whenever Frank Langella is on screen. All due respect to... Everyone else in the cast, um, in, including Billy Barty. Billy Barty. Orco surrogate. Right. People might remember Billy Barty from, I mean, he was in Willow. Uh, we definitely know him most from UHF, where he plays Noodles Macintosh. You may also know him as one of the munchkins from The Wizard of Oz. Uh, yeah, but like, 
honestly, UHF you probably is probably wouldn't recognize a more him, yeah. important movie, yeah. right? I, um, but it's it's an interesting fact. And but also, Billy Barty gives gives it his all, and he does a He's, great job playing Gwildor, which is a a clear Yoda ripoff. Uh, yeah, it's visually. Orko meets Yoda. Yeah. Well, so definitely. I don't I don't remember which which of the Golan or whatever uh cousins it was, but I believe that when this movie came out they said it was going to be the Star Wars of the eighties, which is funny because the Star Wars movies were the Star Wars of the eighties. And no, wait, doesn't it doesn't it say that on like I, I I feel like it says that on like the DVD cover, like the VHS cover, like that's the the quote, like the critics quote. It's the dumbest thing you can and say. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I would say uh, and, yeah, and, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi were the Star Wars is of the eighties, literally. Uh yeah. And yeah, very much so. And uh the the like Skeletor's like foot soldiers, they all have like a Darth Vadery look to them. They're uh, stormtroopers. They're stormtroopers, but they have the like all black with the like kind of pith helmety um yeah. Darth Vader look. You know why they had to have all those? Tell because me. Mattel Mattel told uh, the told Canon Films that He Man was not. They weren't allowed to kill anyone. They weren't allowed to kill any mm. like people. So they had to put in these like cyborg drone robots. That yeah, I mean, they never really address what they are, if they're people or not. They, um, I I feel like they call them something. It's like send in the battle gods, and yeah, you yeah. Don't, it's not clear. It's we don't know. Right. So just to give a brief synopsis of Masters of the Universe, we we go into this world after like crazy stuff happens. Like there's yeah. already been a whole big war and we get into it when Skeletor has kind of taken over uh Castle Grayskull. A and pretty he, creative, a pretty unusual start to this sure. movie about He-Man, which starts with the villain winning. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's like no backstory about who is who and what's going on and like what's really happening. All that we know is that Skeletor has imprisoned the sorceress and he, by like moonrise, will be will be able to extract all of her powers. And we also learn that uh, there's this device called the Cosmic Key. Uh, there are two of them. Skeletor has one. And using this Cosmic Key, you can travel through space and time. And Which is how he gets into Grayskull. Which is how he gets into Grayskull. And the inventor of the Cosmic Key is Gwildor, played by Billy Barty, who is a locksmith and inventor, a very eccentric uh, little little critter, and um, he has one other cosmic key, so they are trying to imprison him um, to be able to use his skills. And uh, he gets free, gets linked up with uh, He Man, Man of Arms, and Tila, uh, the good the good people in the entire universe, apparently. Yeah, pretty much. Just, Ma- man okay. at Arms, Duncan. Man at Arms, Duncan. Right. Man at Arms of the Attorney and Guard. Of course. Right. Eternia is the planet that they live on. And yeah. um, when it is, so they use the, He-Man uses the cosmic key to get into Grayskull to try to defeat Skeletor. But instead they are kind of uh, in a bind. 
Gildor punches in keys at random to get them out of there, and they end up 1987 Earth. And uh, <laughs> whenever you punch in keys at random, you're going to end up on Earth. Yeah. Oh, for sure. So, the, so the the idea at this point is that Skeletor needs to get to wherever they are to get a the cosmic key and b He Man and He Man's sword so that he can complete the process of extracting the powers. And uh, He Man needs to also then get back in order to prevent Skeletor. It's pretty complicated and weird. Yeah. And the sword, so the sword is like, and and this goes back into the toys, into the cartoon, the sword is what contains the power of Grayskull and whoever holds, like the original toys, He-Man had one half of the sword and Skeletor had the other half that was like front and back and they would clip together and whoever had the sword was, so it was kind of like Grayskull was like this, was neutral even though the, the cartoon kind of presented it as the good guy's territory, it really was kind of like it was this this neutral seat of power that two opposing parties are fighting for. And yeah, yeah. And one wants to use it for good. One wants to use it for evil. Obviously. So on and so forth. So meanwhile on Earth, uh, Courtney Cox's character, Julie... Uh, is about to leave. Uh, I'm assuming they're in California. They are in yeah, California. Yeah, they're in California. She's leaving uh, to move to New Jersey to get away from her life because her parents uh, died in a car, sorry, in a plane crash. She blames herself. Uh, so she is leaving uh, her whole life behind, including her boyfriend, Kevin. And they are like getting together to have their last date, their last night, which. Honestly, it seems like a pretty crappy night for uh, for Julie because she's just going to be going to to Kevin's sound check, and it, it's just like, well, really, well, it, that's that's their 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 final night together. Also includes a bucket of fried chicken yeah. and a trip to the cemetery. Yeah, really cool stuff. But on their trip to the cemetery, they find lo and behold the cosmic key in like a smoky crater. <laughs> yeah, and. Um, yeah, so he finds the key. He's a musician, and he thinks it's like a Japanese synthesizer. Gets really excited about it, and by pressing the keys on it, he has, uh, I guess, um, initiated the tracker that Skeletor's team uses to find where they are. Um, yeah. And then it's just a, a battle on Earth to get the uh, the cosmic key, which, for those of you who are familiar with the movie and have a keen ear... The very beginning of this podcast begins with the sound of the cosmic key. Because um, you are journeying into our world. Yeah. I When I was getting the theme stuff together, I was like, what can I put there? And it just seemed like a, a, an obvious decision to include the, the beautiful sound of the cosmic key. Um, it really did serve us well. For sure. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's the plot. So, so basically, you do have some... I, one thing that caught fans, I guess, off guard was this was not a live-action version of the cartoon. No. This was a... And, and the scripts had always... Scripts for Masters of the Universe movies had always be, had been set on Earth. That wasn't anything new. But if you're going to see this movie, the cartoon... It, 
isn't set on Earth. It's mm-hmm. set in Eternia. Right. They only they only travel to Earth at the end of the episode to teach you how to look both ways before crossing the street. <laughs> uh, which it's funny here. It's funny hearing the the writers for the show talk about those tags at the end. It's it's oh it's worth I gotta watch out. this. Um, but so so, the, so you don't have Prince you don't have Prince Adam you don't have King Randor or you Queen don't have Marlena, Orko. no Orko. So you're really left more with this you know kind of the barbarian figure. I mean now now you could really you could do practically what they did with Chris Evans in the the original Captain America movie. Uh huh. Have him wimpy and then make him big. I, the only thing I could, th- I was like, how could they have done that then? I don't know. Have Carrie Elwes as Prince Adam and then have him <laughs> turn into Dolph Lundgren. But it, so there were a lot of things that that you just couldn't do. So right. it was it was very it was very different. Um, and you introduced these new characters. Well, but- yeah, and something else that should be noted about. Um, the cartoon series is that Prince Adam and He-Man, like they just wear different clothes. They look exactly the same. Like there's really no disguise or real transformation aside from, I guess the power within Adam, Adam is less. It's Adam is not confident. He-Man is there's really, there's a lot of just like psychology. If you watch these, these cartoons from like the, the adult perspective, there's a Mm -hmm. lot of psychology because Adam is, and I kind of always wondered if the show was kind of making a, a, like kind of a secret, like a reach out to kids who, for whatever reason, felt like they weren't accepted. Even like there's there's an there's at least one episode where Prince Adam doesn't feel like his father like recognizes his his good qualities. Really? So yeah. So I I always wondered. I I thought I was like, did they? And in the documentary, there's no discussion of this what whatsoever. But I always wondered if this was you know reaching out to those kids who didn't feel accepted you know the the boys who and this was also the er, like early 80s the boys who had bull haircuts and bangs (laughs) the boys who had bull haircuts and bangs but just like the kids who didn't really feel like they fit in and didn't feel confident and maybe didn't even feel that way at home to then say to then become confident and to you know lift that metaphorical sword and say i have the power and this was something that they did intend with the toys was to appeal to that sense of kids wanting to have power and wanting to have not just power, but power over, over adults and to feel like I can, like, I have this power inside of me. And I mean, mm. like one of the commercials, even like the kid like tackles his father with a He-Man figure and the father's got like the Skeletor figure. And yeah. so it, it it's it's really interesting, but I always wondered because I thought I was like, well, Adam, I thought the way he, that he dressed and the way that he acted, the way that he talked, I was like, you know, this is the kid who it's it's, you know, the the um, I'm stealing the, from Glee, but like the the character that, you know, the kid who's into musical theater, whose father wants him to play football. Right. So. Or anyone hmm. who just doesn't feel accepted. So I feel like the He-Man, I feel like that whole I have the power idea really what ran through that series and that, that, that empowerment, that, that idea of empowerment. Sure. 
Well, and I should also note that growing up, He-Man was used by our parents as a tactic to get us to eat our dinner by encouraging us to take a He-Man bite yes. of our food. Yes, we had to take He-Man bites. That was, yeah. That was true. I feel so manipulated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably should have done some He-Man exercising too. <laughs> so 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 getting so getting back to I guess to the film and to the property and like yeah. what is going So we know that there's plans, but this is not the first time there was talk of a John Woo He-Man movie. I feel like mm-hmm. in the mid 2000s um there there was i feel like there's always been a lot of talk of a new he-man movie but now i don't know if it's just that social media amplifies rumors or if it it seems like this is really moving forward with this new he-man we don't know what the plot is going to be imdb just has a very simple summary of basically like all right, well, He-Man's a good guy and he's fighting Skeletor. That's kind of why I was looking forward to doing this this movie now before there is really much information uh, as as not to taint our imagination. Um, so and, and but the the only other thing that's going on right now is that there is a She-Ra Princess of Power uh, animated series um, which is it just makes so much sense right now uh, to be doing the the female driven uh, superhero essentially. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. And I'm sure if this new Masters of the Universe movie e- either will involve Shira or will lead to a an expansion of the of the Masters of the Universe universe right. of yeah you know, adding adding Shira. First, I I, I will say I, I was inspired and. I'm I'm proposing I think that He-Man and the Masters of the Universe will be the the fall play at the school where I teach <laughs> next year. I've been inspired by North Bergen High School. Yeah, the Alien. The production of Alien. But that's uh, that was what I was thinking. I was like, okay, this is the one. This is what I have He-Man and do He-Man. No. That's not yeah. where I see this going. I mean, it'd be interesting. Uh, it certainly it would, would be controversial. I would have them all wearing long johns stuffed with cotton. <laughs> no one would be running around with duct in a loin tape swords. And, yeah, duct tape swords and a, just a big helmet for Skeletor. Just a giant. I don't know. Big yeah. Helmet. So uh, yeah, tell me what tell me what your thoughts are. Well, my my thoughts have have come a long way because initially I was just like no. What are you like? What? How do you? How are you going to take this cartoon and turn this into a movie now? The character with a silly name like He Man. Mm-hmm. As I was watching the movie, though, I was thinking about all of these, all of these references they make to it's. This has always been between us, and He Man right. and Skeletor are constantly saying, like, you know, this has been. Skeletor refers to it as a lifelong battle which i feel like he's he's getting a little um hyperbolic there i don't think he-man and skeletor have been fighting each other since like you know the they were born but it 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 seems like there's a history there so i'm not saying make a direct 
prequel to the 1987 canon films, Masters of the Universe. Right. But but why not go back? Why not show us? Where is... Let's give us the beginning. We've never seen... How did this feud happen? Where did Skeletor come? Like, who is Skeletor? And I I think one of the... So there have been so many cartoon, animated reboots of, of He-Man. And mm-hmm. some that have taken it more seriously and gone more serious. And I think there's one that does give an origin story for Skeletor and kind of shows his... Huh his face. So why not why not go there if you're going to make a Masters of the Universe movie, especially if you're if you're planning it as a franchise which uh, isn't everything these days. Mm-hmm. Why not start at at the beginning? Why not start at the at the beginning of the story? Give us and I don't know if you're going to have a Prince Adam He-Man thing. I kind of feel like that's the way they're going because this Noah Centineo looks like he's kind of like he could look jacked, but he could also look smaller. Like so a normal I feel like, person. Yeah. Well, but a, nor- a normal person in good shape. So, yeah. Um, but I, so they could do that and, and that would be fine. And I think Kenneth Branagh has always been my choice for King Randor. Okay. And I, I actually, I, it was when I saw Kenneth Branagh's Thor film, Mm-hmm. I, especially the Osgard scenes, I was I thought to myself I was like this is He Man this should be He Man this should be I, like yeah Kenneth I was Brana's thinking He Man movie I was thinking the same thing when I was watching it last night um, just how reminiscent of that first Thor movie it all really felt um, I mean aside from being dropped on Earth uh, out of nowhere from this kind of magical planet. Um, yeah. Oh, right. And no, they have I to have the find, isn't there like a cosmic key? <laughs> yeah. It's one of the, it's like the Tesseract or whatever it is. I, I, it's one of the, I did... oh, we're going to get so many angry emails from Marvel fans. Um, so, okay. Look, we're not saying that Thor is a ripoff of masters of the universe, but like read between the lines. Yeah. So that was what I thought when I saw the Thor movie was and and then I was like, well, damn it! Now it can't happen. We can't have Kenneth Branagh just do the He-Man movie and tell him, hey, like, can you just do it the way that you did Thor? Mm-hmm. So I I I don't know creatively who I I feel like I, I'd be interested to see, and I'm pretty sure they have a director lined up, but I I like Duncan Jones, and I didn't see oh, yeah. Warcraft, but. From what I saw, it kind of looked like. But I between, heard it was pretty good. But between, I guess the storytelling. And, and of, by the way, in in Duncan Jones, he did uh, Moon. Uh, yeah, Source Code. Yeah, yeah, Source Code, which was a, which is a lot of fun. And we should have probably mentioned Source Code when we talked about Groundhog Day because that's another one yeah. where it's somebody kind of reliving the same thing over and over again. It's very enjoyable. Check yeah, it out. yeah. So, but yeah, I was, I was kind of thinking of him and I, I was thinking of, cause they still haven't cast Skeletor. So I, I had some ideas. The first thought in my head for Skeletor, mm-hmm. and I'm going to say CGI or not, Andy Serkis. Yeah. Or Gary Oldman. <laughs> Gary Oldman, you can do anything. 
those are the two names. I, I was like, it's got to be one of the two. I don't know. Who, who, what are you thinking? Who are you thinking? Well, Frank Langella's still hanging around. He would totally do it. He would totally do it. Uh, he was amazing on the Americans. Uh, so he's. it's not like he's lost his chops over time. He is still killing it. He might not have the abs anymore, though. He might not have the abs, but um, one of my ideas was to kind of maybe flip things on the side a little bit because that one line really stuck with me about uh, being evil, being really lonely. Maybe it's also number three in the Analyze This uh, movies. It's Analyze the Other Thing with Skeletor, who's just going through some stuff. We get Billy Crystal in there and, uh, you know, get get him on the couch. Let's have him talk through his, his ish. <laughs> does Billy Crystal accidentally rear-end, like, Panthor? <laughs> yes, he does. That's exactly what happens. Uh, he, well, he has... Um, he he gets busted uh, and and he has all these like anger management issues, so he has to work them out with Billy Crystal. Um, well, my my other thought is is if that we if we if there was to be, <laughs> I I mean I I love I love Frank Langella as Skeletor so much, like he just did commit so much, and I was thinking about like who would be, like a younger equivalent to. Frank Langella in that way. And I mean, Ray Fiennes came to mind. I don't know if that's too Voldemorty, but yeah, uh, but he's, but he's just so good um, that he definitely popped into my head. Um, yeah. What about I, 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 this? This feels kind of lame, but I'm, I'm like, what about so who's in the game of Thrones cast? Who could we, who could, who could we cherry yeah, pick the, from game of Thrones? Yeah, that's right. Who's, who's going to be out of work pretty soon. Uh, the other thought that I had was to do something like completely different and go like Jesse Eisenberg as Skeletor. Yeah. I that, mean, I know he did me Lex Luthor already, but to me, that uh, also kind of, it, it, it reminds me of Joseph Gordon Levitt as Cobra commander. Ooh, that is true. Like you for, I mean, I kind of forgot that he was Cobra commander. Uh, even when I was watching him play Cobra commander, cause you just, you don't really see him, but um yeah i uh, and, you know it's the, the other the other story idea i was thinking of and it's it's it, if they had not already done the 1987 masters of the universe i was like taking an approach like the brady bunch movie did <laughs> would have yeah been right so just make funny. it really campy well the other thing that could be argued is like what if they could get the like the main original cast back together I know that Dolph Lundgren is kind of ashamed of it, but like maybe it could be his way to make it right. I feel like Dolph Dolph Lundgren at this point. Also, it's it's a different game. Like there's a different prestige in doing this type of film. So yeah, I, I don't but, know if Dolph Lundgren would be hard but to convince. The thing is, why does He Man have to necessarily be the like the really main part of a Masters of the Universe movie? It's not called He Man. It's called Masters of the Universe. Like, it doesn't necessarily need to be that one person. That's the focus of it. So I guess if you were... So you could do kind of the long-awaited Masters of the Universe 
sequel and have the older He-Man kind of at, uh, kind of reminds me of the um the the Batman I forget what the series is called but where Batman is kind of older um well, so you can also, have the, yeah. yeah I mean it's also kind of like into the Spider-Verse where it's Spider-Man's you know a little older and there's kind of a new younger Spider-Man and it's like there can be more than one mm-hmm. I mean so and but and then what would you do as far as the the villains go? I mean, Skeletor is just a skeleton, you know. I, it, yeah, that's true. Skeletor doesn't have like there's not like an age, <laughs> really. Right. Yeah. 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 If like uh, if in if in Masters of the Universe, Skeletor was like, and I and on my thirty oh. fifth birthday this year, <laughs> you know who might be a good Skeletor? Damian Lewis. Yeah, I could see that. Damian Lewis. He's really versatile. Damian he's, Lewis, who oh, is in Homeland. Homeland Billions. Yeah. Right. Um, so he's one. And, oh, there was somebody else that just popped into my head and then popped back out. That, my God, that would be an interesting, interesting choice for Skeletor. That Liev Schreiber. Oh, Oscar Isaac, maybe. <laughs> there's always a place for oscar isaac we're putting in him films. in everything yes everything. oscar yes not as skeletor for this though what about domino gleason skeletor. i know we've talked about him before domino yeah but then what his, his the character he's playing in the new star wars movies yeah it's is, true is actually more skeletorish than kind of just like be. kind of a, a buffoon um but in a leadership position, I don't, I don't know. I mean, there's, I see the thing is like anybody I think of where it's like, uh, well, they kind of played that role in this franchise or that franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, what about someone like Woody Harrelson or like Nicholas Cage? Okay. So yeah, <laughs> Nicholas Cage's Skeletor would be amazing yeah, I would rather see Nicolas Cage as Skeletor, though, in like a one man show. Or the uh, the Analyze This sequel. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, just like Nicolas Cage is Skeletor. Yeah. And honestly, I, I bet know. he'd do it. And I bet he'd Why kill not? it, too. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah I don't know. There, so I, I definitely, I think I, I've come around to the possibilities of a new a new masters of the universe movie i think they could certainly do it. i'm i'm afraid i guess what i was worried about at a certain point was that a new masters of the universe movie would end up being like a pg rated or pg13 rated version of 300 yeah which i'm not as worried about that anymore because i feel like that that kind of style for, right. i mean that's Zack snyder but that's sure. it's also like that whole like style of of sin city and all that Mm -hmm. was kind of a it had its like moment in time yeah 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 after like 2009 that was kind of done um yeah yeah well i mean i'm i'm totally okay with there being a new uh a a revival of the masters of the universe uh in form of a movie because i know that it has been living on in other ways um yeah i honestly Honestly, I 
feel like whatever ha- would happen, like Shira has to be a big part of it because I feel like Shira and He-Man kind of, at least in my memory, always were mentioned together. Uh, she played a huge role in the television series, and it's kind of bizarre that she was not included in the Masters of the Universe movie. I mean... Yeah, which originally, yeah, originally I think sh- she was going to be. Yeah. It seems like Tila... And honestly, like, Tila was a great character, and there were times when I was like, it's kind of crazy that, like, Man-at-Arms is wearing all of this crazy armor, and Tila is Man-at-Arms' daughter? Is that right? In 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 the, the movie... I, Definitely in the movie, possibly yeah. in the cartoons. I actually do so, have a casting suggestion for Tila. Oh, okay. Well, hold on one if, second. So yeah, so Tila's wearing basically like a leotard with like one piece of armor and Man-at-Arms is wearing like all this other stuff. And it's like, shouldn't they all be wearing the same amount of armor? And But then I thought about that and I was like, man, that's kind of like a sexist move. But then you look at He-Man and he's wearing nothing. And it's like, all right, that kind of balances it out. It's this kind of, yeah, that argument doesn't really hold much weight. So what what would you be your idea for Tila casting? So, yeah, no, and I can't believe this didn't occur to me sooner. So um, WWE superstar Becky Lynch, she is, okay. she is set to be part of the main event of WrestleMania 35, the first women's main event with Ronda Rousey and Charlotte Flair, daughter of Ric huh. Flair. But Becky Lynch has got she's got a lot of great personality she's like physically she's muscular and fit she's strong she's a redhead i mean not that you can't dye hair red but i think that i think that just her aptitude for stunt work and action um and her her acting her her acting ability which Mm -hmm. you, you do get to see when you watch pro wrestling. Right. I really think she'd be, if she was looking to cross over into films and likewise, you could end up um, with, you could end up seeing someone like a a Dave Batista fit into this movie easily. Sure. As perhaps a, like a man at arms or Moss man. I don't, he'd be a good Moss man. Yeah. I mean, casting he man though, would be tough. And I mean, they, they picked this one person. I have no idea anything about him, but like, honestly trying to think about like who else you would pick. I really don't even know. I mean, they picking Dolph Lundgren was an interesting choice because at that time he was still, you know, not very well known. Rocky four. Rocky. I think that was it. Yeah. And I mean, I thought that he, was kind of great. Like, yeah, I, I wouldn't have picked anybody else to play. He meant at the time, but no, I think that right no. now, because people aren't getting big the way that they used to, um, it kind of changes things a little bit. I mean, you certainly have very physically fit people and you have people like the rock who are just like gigantic people who are also good at acting, but you can't just put the rock in everything that calls for right. a big guy. Yeah. I guess same thing with Dave Bautista, and, and and on second thought, Guardians of the Galaxy would probably rule him out for Masters of the Universe. 
Yeah, maybe, maybe not. I mean, it depends on what the role would be. Well, not if you're going to end up having a Marvel-DC crossover with Human oh, Link. Yeah, that's true. There you Dang. run into a problem. That is a problem. Well, anyway, I feel like we've said our piece about Masters <laughs> of the Universe. Um, and before we move on to the uh, the announcement for what we're going to do in the next episode, uh, there are a couple of reboot news items. Um one of them being around the craft. Have you heard about this? I have the re- not. The rebooting of the craft. This is the portion of the show when John tells me things that are that are <laughs> news to me. That's what the yeah, sometimes news I don't send sometimes I don't send you all the articles that I see about this stuff. But um Zoe Lister Jones uh is writing and directing the craft. She did a movie, she's like a kind of like an indie movie. Um director she did uh, a, a movie called band aid with adam pally um very enjoyable it's about a couple who is uh having problems and rather than talking about it they write songs about their problems and uh get popular anyway cool. um the other bit of news and i can't like verify this with a reliable source but i did see that it is possible that a reboot may be happening, and I'm trying to keep this as vague as possible, of Troop Beverly Hills. I did see that the cast reunited for the 30th anniversary. The cast did reunite, um, and Jenny Lewis has a new album out. Everybody should check it out. It's very good. Uh, But I saw one article that hinted at some sort of knowledge of a reboot. That's all. That's all I know. It's all I'm willing to say. Perhaps so we'll see more about this. It's so funny how movies that really did not make an impact on their release have Cold just classics. become have built these. And I, I don't know if we're ever going to talk about Troop Beverly Hills and devote a whole episode to it. But I do remember. I did see it in the theater, and I remember where. So, well, we can talk about that. Should we talk about Troop Beverly Hills? Like, for real? Yeah. All right. And so, talking about movies that really didn't have much of an impact, <laughs> why don't you tell us about the movie that we're going to be talking about on the next episode? So, next episode's movie also was released in the summer of 1987 and made Masters of the Universe look like a blockbuster smash. We are talking, and I don't even know if this qualifies as a cult classic, but... Starring the rap trio, The Fat Boys, 1987's Disorderlies. I want to make this very clear. This is not an April Fool's joke. We are actually going to be talking about Disorderlies. We are going all in with this one. It's our 10th episode. (laughs) It's our 10th. Wait, no. Uh, This this is is our our 10th episode. This is currently... It's our 11th episode. I've got to celebrate the 11th somehow. We have to talk about Disorderlies. I can't wait. I have a a wonderful nostalgic story going along with Disorderlies. Oh, my God. I love it. So so if if you listening have uh, any thoughts about the Disorderlies or or Masters of the Universe... Masters of the Universe... Write to us, ruinedchildhoodspod at gmail.com. French Fry Phil, we haven't heard from you in a minute. Hope you're no. okay. Oh, you haven't. Hold on. We have. Hold on. I believe that we got an email from French Fry Phil. 
Did we? I am pretty sure I saw an email come in <laughs> from French Fry Phil. Hold on. Hold on a second. Sure enough, this afternoon. Oh. Whoa. So, okay. Um, I'm seeing it right now. Phil, thank you. No, because I, 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 it occurred to me. I said, we have not heard from Phil, but he's, uh, so to quote Phil, had to play some podcast catch up, but great episodes. My two brothers and I watch Twins and Kindergarten Cop all the time. I saw Gremlins 2 before I ever saw the first one. Definitely not the way to do it. And fun fact, Phoebe Cates' daughter, Greta Klein, has a really good indie band called, uh, and their name is Frankie Cosmos. So. Cool. I'll check them out. I, since I'm reading this email for the first time just now, but you said his name and I thought, oh, wait, I saw an email come in before. <laughs> well, then I take so, back what I just said about French Fry Phil. Thank you for listening, buddy. Uh, and it, it, by all means, if you want to write to us, we can read your email on on the next episode and uh, share your thoughts. We'd love to hear from you. We can't. It can't just be me and Dan all the time. No, no, that's not good for anybody. Or Scott in that one episode. Yeah. Well, I and and I think I think we'll have some uh, some more special guests coming on in some yeah. future episodes. So I can't promise anyone for disorderlies. So. To close out this episode, it's only appropriate for us to give you the send-off that the residents of Eternia give to each other. Because they don't say goodbye. Don't say goodbye. They say good journey. Good journey. Good journey, Dan. Good journey, John. And the masters of the universe. I am Adam. Prince of Eternia and defender of the secrets of Castle Grayskull. This is Cringer, my fearless friend. Fabulous secret powers were revealed to me the day I held aloft my magic sword and said, By the power of Grayskull! became the mighty battle cat and I became He-Man the most powerful man in the universe only three others share this secret our friends the sorceress man at arms and Orko together we defend castle Grayskull from the evil forces of Skeletor 